There's something reassuring about uh, singing a song that starts with, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. For those of you who uh, have various feelings about the transition of power in Washington, there is good news. Your hope is not found in Washington, D.C. or any of the occupants there. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Isn't that good news? We could end right there and everything would be great. He is my light, my strength, my song. Amen to that. Our uh, text of emphasis today is uh, found in the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 16. And it says this there in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you but by man, but by the, by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, Petros, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider the words of the Gospel of Matthew we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and who we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as has been our tradition for the last several years, we spend here in Church of the Avenue Hope in this community the first several weeks of the new year just being a little bit reflective and thinking about our purpose and our mission and our strategy. Our, our volunteer leadership team last week were, were up in the mountains kind of contemplating this, and so... Uh, today we want to consider this theme of, of uh, just being reflective on what we're doing here as individuals and as a community. And as we do this, we think here of uh, Jesus' uh, aspirations uh, for the uh, church. Certainly they were bold. He says, I'm going to build this, this church. I'm going to build this, this, this uh, organization, this community, and the, the hell will not be able to overcome it. Hell will not be able to overcome it. That's a pretty bold prediction by a Jesus. The reality, though, is that for uh, many, the idea of church seems even outdated. In fact, we talked about this two weeks ago, and uh, I just want to remind you that you can always go on watch.avenhope.org and get caught up on the previous teachings uh, here from the many people that we have come to, to share with us. And so that message is there, but uh, talking a little bit about, again, this idea of the church for many being uh, outdated. But uh, we, there's still some more territory to uh, tread there before we move on and as we're continuing to be contemplative about uh, what our purpose is. And so today, with that in mind, that for many, the idea of church seems outdated or irrelevant even those who, who have embraced a relationship with God and, and embraced Jesus' work on our behalf, um, we are going to wrestle with uh, one simple uh, question, and that is, why does the church matter? Why does the church matter? 
does it matter, you might ask. Um, why does the church matter? Now, again, Jesus was, uh, was clearly high on the idea of the church, and he had great aspirations for us, for it. I, I could ask you, and we did this in the morning service, just asked, you know, why does the church matter uh, for you? This group may be a little large to do that, although why not? Why not try it? So let me ask you, why, why does the church uh, matter uh, to you? Anyone willing to just speak out in a loud voice for us this morning? Why does the church matter for you? All right, it matters for fellowship, okay? Anyone else? Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Anyone else? Represent the kingdom of God on earth. Okay, good, good. All right, one more. Anyone? Learn together how to love well. Okay, good. All right, again, once again, sermon done. Let's go home. All is well. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to add to all the good things that you've, you've shared with uh, three insights, three reasons why the Bible asserts that the church uh, matters. So it's great to hear uh, uh, from us. Now we'll just take that a little bit farther and hear three more. Now, there are many. We could sit here and come up with others. There's certainly many others uh, that, that uh, are in the Bible. I'm going to share you with these, these three, and then we'll go from there. So I assert to you, in addition to what has already been shared, that uh, one of the reasons why the church matters is that it was designed to help people become and live as disciples or students, if you will, of Jesus. The church was designed to help people become and live as followers of Jesus, which corresponds to a lot of what you've already shared. Matthew chapter 28, we read this. Jesus' last words to his uh, disciples. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have com commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus instructs the newborn baby Christian church, this little a group of people that they're going to be the ones to go and help others to be uh, students of him. Learn and teach. As, as Advent Hope kind of developed our own mission statement, we wanted to incorporate this in that, in that uh, statement. And so we said, hey, we want to be a community that cultivates a, a community where people learn and teach how to follow Jesus. That's, that's the kind of environment that we want to have here, embracing this model of Matthew chapter 28. And so, hey, the church matters because it, it was not designed to help people to become and live as disciples of Jesus. All right, secondly, the church matters because it's designed to embody God's love in the world. The church is designed to embody God's love in the world. 1 John chapter 4, whoever does not love does not know God because God is is love. Maybe that most existential uh, passage in all of the Bible. God is love. Everything starts with love. God is love. And then John chapter 13, the gospel of John. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, that you are my a church. 
if you love one another. The love of the church for each other is embodying uh, God's love. This is in the world. This is why the church matters. Thirdly, I assert to you that the church matters because it is to do God's work in the world. The church is designed to do God's work in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. You, talking to the newborn baby Christian church and to all those who would follow it, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Paul, so Paul talking, and he goes to articulate how the church, and he uses the metaphor of the body, that there are people in the church and each have different roles and some function like an arm or a leg or a foot or an ear, and that we work together to do God's work in the world. So why does the church matter? For the reasons that you shared and these in addition, it matters because it was designed to help people become and live as followers of Jesus. It matters because it was designed to embody God's love in the world. It matters because it is to do God's work in the world, to be God's hand and feet. But there is a problem. You know what the problem is. Oftentimes, 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 the church is not very effective at these things. You guys with me here? There's the ideal, and then there's reality. In fact, you could go as far to say that the church rarely accomplishes uh, these things. Uh, let's think about uh, helping people be disciples, become disciples, or live as disciples. Uh, the reality is, whether it's Advent Hope, whether it's the large church, whether it's another, another church, uh, the church easily becomes institutionalized and starts thinking in great detail about all of the aspects of being institutionalized, having programs, having events, to the point where time and energy, most of the time or the energy of the community, goes toward putting on events or uh, doing uh, programs and, and, and the, the meetings in which volunteers come to, a lot of talk is about these events, these programs, these, this institution that is uh, the church. And so this is a challenge. And, and, and things like, important things like helping people learn and, and, and become followers of Jesus are left by the wayside because you have to have programs. You got to do things. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 1. You want to read a challenging passage in the Bible, especially in the context of a community of faith. Read Isaiah chapter 1. How about these? This is just a little snippet from Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1 verse 13. This is God talking to his people. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. We're going to have a call to offering at the end of the service. Nick is not going to say this when he calls the, the offering, just, just so you're aware. But God in Isaiah 1, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. 
They become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. God really letting it out, expressing emotions. I hate it. I'm tired of it. Why? Why does he, why was he so upset with things? Well, he's clear that the church isn't, isn't the, 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 the community of faith isn't what it's supposed to be about. It's focused on the, 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 the wrong things and the really essential things that the community is supposed to be about are being left on the wayside. The church doesn't always or often doesn't live up to what it's supposed to be about. It doesn't accomplish its purposes. We said that uh, the church matters because it's designed to embody God's love in the world. Well, you don't have to talk to too many people in or outside of the church to know that you know, too often this isn't the impression people have about the church. People aren't saying, but that church, the church is so loving. I mean, maybe you've had a good experience and so you're still here and part of this, but you, you talk to, 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 to people who haven't been around church and most of them are not saying, you know, I don't, I'm not a part of a church, but man, they're such loving people. No, too often the church is known more for what it hates than what it loves. And yet... God's design for the church that it was to embody his love in the world. So there's a, a difference between the ideal and, and reality. You guys with me here? Okay. Th thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank God. Someone. All right. We said uh, that the church matters because it's to do God's work in the world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. But again, it's very easy for the church or the local church, even for, for Advent Hope, and these are issues for Advent Hope, to get co so caught up in the minutia of other things that we miss out on being God's hand and, and feet in the world. I think of Matthew chapter uh, 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, religious leaders. You hypocrites, you give a, a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You can do both. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, religious people. That's it's. Listen, it's, it's real. It's real for us today. Sometimes as a, a, as a community, we're focused on the, the wrong things. So we're, we're tied up and we put all our time and energy and, and, and things that really aren't the main thing. I, I, I was confronted this, with this uh, myself. We, uh, we have an, an advocate. I'll say an advocate. She's not here today. I think she's in D.C., uh, marching, probably. Brooke Pierce, she's one of our board members, and she has been advocating for months that we be more intentional with the Syrian refugee crisis. And, and as a community of faith, even take in or, or help with, a, 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 uh, with a, a refugee. And I have to admit, at first, I was like, 
you know, we got, we got worships to plan. We do 100, we have 104 worship services here, here Brooke. But over time, I think as a, as a, as a, as a, as a board, as a, as a group who's kind of helping to make some decisions for the church, it dawned on us, you know, that this is really part of what we're supposed to be about, hands and, and, and feet. And so next week, there is a, a refugee family coming, and we're joining together with the, the Rutgers Church to help them get settled. In fact, I know they're looking for volunteers for that. So if you want to be hands and feet in a very tangible way. And there are, there are other things in which the Avon Hope community is involved. And I look at Nye, and I think all the great work he's done with the organizations where you can get involved and be engaged in the community. But listen, too often we're, we're too busy for that. Not just as individuals, but as a community. We're focused on the programs. The events. And so, not living up to our purpose. We're supposed to be a community that helps people to to become and live as disciples of Jesus. We're supposed to embody love in the world. We're supposed to do God's work, but too often we don't live up to our own expectations for ourselves. So, this leaves us with a question as we're contemplating what Advent hope is and what we're doing here and what church is and why church matters. What's the, what's the solution? How are we going to overcome our own getting in front of ourselves, this problem? How are we going to overcome this? Well, first step in overcoming anything is recognize your shortcomings, which hopefully we're doing a little bit Today, in Isaiah chapter 1, which we read where God came off pretty straightforward with, uh, with his community of faith, it continues in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, a few passages down from where we read before, and it says this, wash and make yourselves clean. He's talking now to this community that has been focused on the wrong things. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, amen. But easier said than done, correct? I mean, not, not just as a community, as individuals, you know? If, if, if all you needed in an area of your life where you need some adjustment was for somebody to say, stop doing that. <laughs> Everything would be easy, right? The problem is the actual... The actual doing. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Oh, it sounds so good. I want, I want to do that. I want our community to do that. But, but how? How does it actually happen? How do we change from where we are now to where we need to be? Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet... They shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God is giving a glimpse of what happens when the gospel enters the picture. God, God instructing the people what they need to do. But in the, in the midst of their recognition of their own shortcomings, then he gives hope. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those broken areas in your life as individuals and as, an, as a community. And if you let me, I can take that, that red, bloody, broken area and make it as white as snow. This is good news for us as individuals and as a community. 
that isn't always living up to our dreams and God's aspirations for us. What else do we do? Well, we embrace the transforming work of God's Spirit in us as a community. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork. The, the community of faith is God's handiwork. He designed this thing in the very beginning. He, he's the one who chose 12 disciples and had other followers around him. He's the one, when he left, established this group as the one who's going to continue doing the work. We are God's handiwork. For those of you who are part of a, a, a church community, you're God's handiwork. This is God's work. This isn't something that, that people sat down and said, we should come up with this organization, the church, and it should operate this way. This is God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This whole thing is God's idea. So we got to recognize and embrace that and then embrace God's ability to work in the community through his spirit. And then finally, how do we, how do we, how do we get things corrected? We allow God to do what he wants to do in us as a community. And I love this part. You know what he wants to do in his church? He wants to make his church like a family, like a family. Now, you've heard this, if you've been around a church, like a billion times. And I mean, if you, if you go to an old school church, you walk in and somebody will say, brother. And you'll say, who, what, huh? Hey, brother, sister, have you ever been to a church where they, everybody calls each other brother or sister? It's a little corny. <laughs> but, but, but the idea is, is straight out of the Bible. Matthew chapter 12, one of the most surprising, let's say, statements of Jesus. We won't get into all the details why it's surprising, but look what he does. Jesus' mother and his brothers show up, to, and Jesus is sitting around with his, with his disciples. And they say, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. And he says to them, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now there's a lot to unpack behind that. But the, the simple idea is Jesus is using the term of family when he's talking about his group that he's establishing here. Mother, brother, sister, father, father, God. Now I think this idea of family is actually pretty fantastic. Because it kind of, first of all, it kind of changes that first question that, that I asked, that we, we may ask. Why does the church matter? Right? That was our first, we start. why does the church matter? Because now with Jesus reframing things or framing things in the context of the family, we can take that question and that question, why does the church matter, kind of goes along with the question, why does your family matter? Why does your family matter? Have you ever asked that question? Oh, come on. Yes, of course you have. Probably as recently as Thanksgiving. <laughs> Why does my family matter? I mean, if you, you know, day one is fine. Everybody hasn't seen each other in a while. 
You know, you're out, you're, you're, you're in New York, you're used to your small apartment, you go out to wherever your family is, and you start hanging out, and, uh, you know, on day two, people start talking about politics, of course, and, and by day three, you're ready to kill each other, and you're asking the question, why does my family matter? You've, you've probably asked that question anyway. That's a conversation for another day. But why, why does your family matter? What is the answer to that question? Well, your family matters because they're your family, right? You didn't, you didn't choose them. You might have chosen another family if you could have chosen them. Your family matters because they're your family. You have this innate relationship with them. God, Jesus himself, framing the community of faith in the context of family. These are my mother and brother and sisters, and God is our family. Now, again, I'm into this idea, so just bear with me for a few minutes. I think that the idea of the church as a family has some profound implications. Uh, firstly, there's this idea that in the church family context, anyone can join the family. You gotta love this idea, you know? Um, I mean, in your, in, your, in your natural born family, there's some element of this that's true too, right? If, you're, if you're, your brother or your sister comes home with a significant other, that they bring to Thanksgiving for the first time, you might recognize in your mind, ooh, somebody new is going to join the family. All right? So there's, there's some kind of correlation here. The idea of the church as a family, dude, anyone can join the family. It's not, it's not a, a closed-off situation. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. They're, they're in the family. If they, if, they, if they have faith in God and what he can do, they are children of Abraham. They can be in the family. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They come into the family, and anybody can be in the family. You guys with me here? So that's a cool concept. Anyone can be in the family. There's no re restrictions. Jew, Greek, slave, free, as we read before. Anybody in, in the family. Second, I think, profound implication of this family idea for the church. Uh, we don't have to be uh, disturbed recognizing that the church is like a family by broken people in the church. In, in almost every other construct that we would think of church as leads us to get very concerned when we see people who aren't living properly, whatever that means, or who are generally broken. But if we're talking about the church as a family, we won't be surprised when we sit next to them, someone, and we start talking and finding out that, hey, they're broken. Just like you're not surprised when you go home to your family and you recognize that you have family members who are, are broken, that they don't have it all together. You guys have family members who don't have it all together? Maybe you're the family member who isn't all together. <laughs> Amen to that. That's, that's how it works. That's the beauty of the family. You're still family. You don't have it all together. You're still family. See, people have the idea that some people have the idea. Maybe you have this idea. I know. I know. 
that people who aren't a part of a church, many of them have this idea, that the church is only for holy people. You know what I'm talking about? See, Chris has left because he knows. He's part of the family. He's like, <laughs> I was talking to somebody just a few minutes ago. They weren't holy. Right, Chris? It was probably it's me. It's all right. It's good. Church isn't full of holy people. It's full of broken people. It's full of people who've done all kinds of terrible things. You have done all kinds of terrible things. Now, we don't often talk about that when we're together, which may be a whole other problem. I'm, I don't, I, we'll leave that for another, another conversation. But the church is full of broken people, and the idea that we're also a family makes that even more beautiful because we can be honest with each other. If you came here, by the way, thinking that everybody had it all together, take heart. And you, and you don't? Take heart. Nobody has it all together here. Anybody have it all together? Raise your hand. We're going to shun you. Make you leave. <laughs> Their church is a community where broken people find a home. That's the beautiful thing about it. It's a home where it's a community. It's a family. You don't have to be all together. All right. The, the last, I think, profound implication of this family concept. In, in the family, everyone is on equal footing. Everyone is on equal footing. Ephesians 2, we read it just a few minutes ago, but continuing on to verse 8, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from something fantastic that you did. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody is in the same boat in the family. There's no one up, there's no one more fantastic than the other, no. Anything good is the gift from God. James chapter 2, how about this one? My brothers and sisters, James said, he's using the language of family. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a person comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If, if, if you show special attention to the person wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit on the floor by my feet. Haven't you discriminated? And become judges with your evil thoughts. See, that's not, James like, that's not how the church works. The church is a family, and if you are in, you are in, and it's all on equal footing. I, again, I love this idea of family. I'm, I'm not just, we start going around old school style and calling each other brother and sister. But you know what I do like, and some of you may not like this, but I love that we call each other by our first names here. Now, some of you feel compelled to call me you, you don't say Todd, you say Pastor Todd. That's fine. That's fine. But you don't have to do that, okay? I'm Todd, right? I mean, we have some very, very smart people. We have some people that when they go to work, everybody bows down to them at work. Oh, Mr. Mrs. is here. Doctor, doctor is here. But you know what happens when they come in the community of faith? 
It's first names. We don't have to do the, the doctor or the... Now, again, some of you may not like this. But I'm just telling you, everybody's on equal footing. Look, my, my, good, my good friend, we'll call him out, ADA Linton back there. When he goes to work, Dewey Award winning ADA Linton, we've made a lot of, you know, we're going to keep this before you. We've got an award winning attorney here. I'm, I'm building him up. But when I see him, do I say, oh, ADA Linton. You know what I call him? Derek. If someone in his office calls him Derek, they're immediately fired. <laughs> Here, we call him Derek. We've got, we've got doctors. We've got chairmen of departments. We've got people here, but it's first name because everybody is equal. We're all in the same place because it's a family. I mean, when you go home and you see your brother, you're not like, oh, doctor, do you? Because that's ridiculous. You can call me Todd, by the way. I mean, if you keep, if it, your, your tradition is like, it's got to be pastor in front of it, that's fine. But, but, but Todd is just fine, okay? Flat, flat, family. The church is designed to function as a family, and this is a beautiful thing. So, as we start to... Uh, to think about the future, and we've been reflective on our community. What can we, what can we hope for for Advent Hope? I mean, we talked about the church. Let's get specific. What, what can we hope for for Advent Hope in this new year? I mean, we've got hopes and dreams and aspirations. I mean, we want to be God's feet and hands in this world, and we want to embody love. How are we going to do that? First, we've got to embrace what God has done on our behalf wholeheartedly. And that means everything we do is, in, is, 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 is filled with the fact that there's nothing we do on our own that gets us anywhere. It's only as we embrace God's work on our behalf that we are anything, not just as individuals, but as a community. And we're going to embrace that, so we're going to keep talking about that. Keep embracing God's spirit so he'll come in and do what he needs to do to make us the kind of community that we want to be. And then let's hope and pray that, that, that God can make us the kind of community he wants us to be. And that starts with being a family. That starts with getting to know each other. Do you, do you know each other? I mean, that's a tough question. Many of you, you're coming from people coming from Connecticut and from Brooklyn, even from the long off way, we're called New Jersey. Come over here. So I know it's hard. We're all from all over the place, but getting to know each other. I mean, it doesn't mean you're spending all your time. You don't even spend all your time with, you, with your family, right? You go see them once in a while, but when, when, when one of us is in, in need, one of us is a hurting, that the community cares about each other. Listen, we are not there right now. If you've been, some of you have been here, this happens all the time at Avenue Hope, by the way. There's someone who's active and they're here and then they see someone, they say, oh, are you new? And the person will say, no, I've been coming here for three years it's awkward. Look, we, we're not there yet. But, 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 but let's allow God to do what he wants to do in us to make us a, a, a family. A family where everybody can be in. Everybody's an insider. Where we don't have to be disturbed about the fact that we're amidst broken people because we're all broken. 
and where everyone is on equal footing. Let's let God do that in our experience as a community of faith this year. How about that? That's my hope, and that's my prayer for Advent hope. And then, that, then God will help us to live up to our aspirations and his aspirations for us. But it starts with being the community, to being the family that he wants us to be, embracing his good work in us and letting his spirit do its thing to make us who we want to be, not who we are. Let's pray. Father God, we are reflective on ourselves and sometimes it's kind of frustrating because where we are is not where we want to be individually and as a community. And so I'm praying here and now that as we continue this journey into the rest of 2017 as a faith community here at Avon Hope, that you'll do what only you can do in us. That you'll craft us into the kind of community that you want us to be. We pray that you will fill us with all of your love and all of your grace and all of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.